0: This is the Safari. The Safari is a tour around the consumer, brand, and retailing industry. And we have the great privilege here at my company, Traub to really be exposed to many of the great minds of the industry who are forming and shaping the future of many different parts of the consumer brand and retail world. And I felt it was quite interesting for us to be able to not only learn from all of those people as we do every day, but uh, memorialize it into a podcast which could then be shared with many of our friends and clients and, and you obviously the listener. Mazdek Rasi is the co-founder of Milk Studios, Milk Agency, and most recently, Milk Makeup, which has become in four years, one of the fastest growing emerging brands anywhere. Rasi is one of the most down to earth, charming, smart people you'll ever meet when it comes to branding. He is a giant. He knows more about how to get young people to care about a brand, to create community, to bring hospitality into the consumer industry. And our discussion is wide ranging. And I really urge you to stick it out all the way to the end because he is just a fountain of pearls of wisdom. And um, let's get started because it's fascinating stuff. Rossi. Hello. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for coming up here in 30-degree weather. Yeah, it's a bit cold. It's a bit cold. And uh, well, thank you. So listen, um, we'll get right into this. You have been the sort of mastermind, or one of the masterminds. Uh, You're always very fair to your partners who were right there with you from the beginning. Milk, Milk Studios, Milk Makeup, Milk Agency, uh, now also Camp David. This is an offshoot of, of, of that with one of your partners. Um, Tell me a bit about the beginning of how Milk started and uh, we'll get to, obviously, later on where it's ended up.
1: Sure, thank you. Um, Thank you for having me. You know, it it all started with a neighborhood. And, you know, I think we always forget how lucky we are to build businesses and start in this incredible city, New York City. So for, for me, it was about 23 years ago in the meatpacking. And it was just this moment in time in New York that, you know, the city was still so fragmented. It still felt, uh, neighborhoods really felt like different parts of the city. And we just happened, uh, to start, uh, originally our main business, which was milk studios, which is a fashion photography studio. Mm -hmm. That was 1996. My partners uh, bought this building in the meatpacking, which now...
0: uh, Describe the meatpacking district in 1996.
1: um, It was dangerous. Like, it was just... (laughs) It was, uh, you know, empty buildings, um, lots of drug dealers on every block. And, you know, it was the meatpacking. So there was a lot of, like, mob families that were still like in control of the streets. And here we were like three Middle Eastern guys (laughs) bought this building for nothing. I think it was at the time we bought the milk building for $6 million. It was empty except for a few people that were like living in it. uh, That were squatting. It was just, you know, we had to have security guards walk all the girls and guys from the lobby to the subway on eighth avenue like every night like they would all everyone would gather uh at 6 p.m in the lobby and the security guard would walk you to eighth avenue that's how crazy. this is all the, the
0: models and photographers
1: photographers mod- i mean it was just and you know our employees and the meatpacking was just you know there was no concept of retail there was no concept of um brands there it was just really raw but there was a lot of artists and there was like a lot of underground galleries, and then there was a lot of like incredible nightlife that was um, that was sort of hidden in corners of the meatpacking. And th- that's kind of how you know a neighborhood is coming up.
0: So you you you've used the word neighborhood, and then you've talked about the people as well. You know the the the, the guys and girls and and um, the community that you have built in a neighborhood, and that was born out of the activities that you. Uh, obviously did then in photography and in the arts um, but that community the neighborhood I mean they go hand in hand and so sort of the isn't part of Milk's culture that community that tribe of people that was born partially from that neighborhood but it sort of maintained the the essence of the brand wouldn't, wouldn't you say in some regard?
1: Yeah I, I think that you know it's in the beginning when we first built Milk Studios it was We really catered to all the big photographers, all the big filmmakers, all the big fashion designers. And we worked on their behalf and we were just worker bees. And, And at some point we realized the real value of milk is not our client base, the people who work there and all of these young photographers and young filmmakers and young designers. And that's when the milk real community began and, uh, and our job was simple, be their platform, help them. You mm-hmm, know. Mm-hmm. And I think that once that became our DNA and our North Star, um, everything changed. People still wanted to work there. But it was And they more, wanted to help you too. Yeah. And and what was interesting was that it was that we were the connection between the you know, the emerging and the established and creativity. And milk became that playground. And you could do photo shoot, make a film, create a fashion line, make music in our music room downstairs. And Mill expanded very quickly from being just photo rental studios to having our own gallery, music programs. You know, we started to work with lots of brands who wanted to tap into our community. This is is sort of like mid-2000, you know, 2004, 2005 when, we were doing a lot of projects with Vice and there's a lot of media companies. all of a sudden we realized like we're not in one industry. we all touch each other, but we command this new generation of creatives and we are, and that's when we started to realize that our com our community and our collaborators are our value mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh that hasn't changed now. All those years later, milk is still known as sort of a platform for the next generation of
0: creators. Yeah, yeah so obviously it started as a studio, mm. and today there is um, media the media company, or I guess it's more of an agency, and then there's also very famously, uh, one of the biggest successes in beauty, M- milk makeup, which is a relatively young company, amazingly. Talk about how those other offshoots, in particular the beauty business, um, came up.
1: Yeah, I think it's, um, you know, we had, we started a, a fashion week program for young designers uh, with MAC Cosmetics and with um, John Dempsey and, and the guys at, at MAC and, and his whole team. And, and it was really about giving, opening milk up free of charge to a curated group of young designers at the time that nobody knew. And we would curate it. And uh, we would just, we would collaborate with Mac and Mac um, would be sort of our brand uh, that backed the program. So we were kind of like always working with this amazing cosmetic company and um, this kind of where we got the bug. And in 2010, uh, we actually did a collaboration with Mac. It was called Mac and Milk and they had all their makeup on the counters of all the studios so all the makeup artists could use it. And it was a wonderful relationship for about uh, eight years. We, we worked together. And then we did this collab, and it kind of like sold out. And that's where, where it kind of got the bug. And But I always knew I didn't want to do uh, a makeup line, if we ever did one, that was about our studios or makeup artists or this professional grade. Um, we, we knew we were going to do it we were going to create things for our community. And we we're constantly thinking about what can we do for our community. And and the whole concept of community is that once you build it, you have to feed it, you have to activate it, you have to get them to do things and excite them. You can't just have a big community. So you're constantly programming. And so one of the ideas was one day was as Milk sort of really began to grow digitally and this is right when digital was kicking off and we were like right there and we realized that okay the entire business is b2b Mm -hmm. you know our studios our agency everything was b2b Mm -hmm. um but our media was b2c and we didn't realize that so we felt like we had this audience and we had become a brand the only problem was we didn't we didn't sell anything. we didn't have no services for the consumers, So we started thinking about, um, you know what? We have a new business that we need to think about, and that's our brand. Mm-hmm. And once we started to think that way, it was what, it was more about like, okay, for a brand, what's our product?" And then we started thinking, and I had all these crazy ideas like milk hotels, <laughs> milk trains, milk, and then one of them was milk makeup, because, milk milk yeah, milk, milk. <laughs> drinks and I, I went to my two business partners i said look guys i think we could do makeup obviously no idea
0: it's also a nice margin business and nice. and, and and right on trend
1: right? yeah but you know ignorance is bliss because i had no idea how hard it was going to be how much money we were going to need and so we kind of put a little team together at milk myself my wife Zana, georgia gravel who's one of our film uh, directors at the time and we started to you know put together on paper what we thought it could be we always knew it was going to be about our community Mm -hmm. and we put this idea together and and i remember we were shooting a campaign for sephora and i walked into the studio and went up to the creative director and i said "What, what who do you go see when you have like you want to sell makeup Sephora, and she looked at me. She goes, "They're called merchants." (laughs) (laughs) And so I said, "Yeah, do you think you can hook me up with someone?" So we flew to San Francisco, presented our our idea, and they were all over it.
0: So, so talk a little bit therefore about the sort of the duality of brand and commerce, uh, and in particular, in your case, content to commerce and the the lifestyle to commerce, and many of the brands. Mm Today, whether it be Outdoor Voices and Away and Glossier, they're all sort of doing the reverse, trying to create content. I would say Glossier maybe did um, their own, um, they did both from the beginning. But nonetheless, content and the the tribe, the creation of that tribe and having people attach to um, what it is that you're doing, uh, the skills, therefore, the cross-functional skills of knowing how to brand, knowing how to create community, but also now learning how to actually create product and then sell product and learn about different sides of the industry. Talk about sort of how you feel about those, sort of that duality in what you're doing right now.
1: Yeah, I think that a, a brand today has to be living, you know, and it it's, has to be relevant and it has to keep moving. And, you know, it, it needs to touch things and people and you know that's how your community is built uh, nobody wants a customer you know a customer twenty dollars less or more five dollars they go somewhere else but a community stays with you yep. you know if, uh, apple so has like an
0: enthusiast
1: driven brand almost yeah and and they feel like they have your they own the brand they you know and that's one of the things that i always say it's like you know the review button is one inch from the buy button you don't control your brand They do, and when you are in that realization that you have to let go of your brand Mm -hmm. and that you have to give it to the people Mm -hmm. and they run it, they own it. That's when you you get to the Zen moment in brand building where you kind of let it happen. Mm -hmm. And so you know, it's not traditional. It's it's you know, it's not always about awareness or ROI driven or you know it really is about this omni-channel multiple medias from multiple platforms you're everywhere you're talking you're speaking and your brand is just a platform for millions of people to kind of talk through good and bad Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and just and it becomes this living organism yeah and so you know milk makeup now is we're not even four years old yet. We'll be four years old in February. Mm -hmm. But in that short period of time, you know, when we track our earned media value or we look at our social and digital, we don't care about scale, even though we've been able to be up to like 1.8 million followers on Instagram in that short period of time. It's really about the engagement. It's about how these kids just talking all day long on our channels in Spain, in Germany, in you know, Scandinavia, uh, you know, in the US and in Indiana and in Ohio about what the concept of beauty is. Am yeah. I ugly? Am I beautiful? Am I this? And that's when you know you're healthy yeah.
0: is when you become that sort of platform for them. So we, we often talk here about companies needing to turn themselves upside down and inside out, like give give the company to the young people and then be completely transparent about everything that you're doing. Picking up on what you said earlier about uh, giving the brand to the people who who buy it, I've always felt that in the sort of, I guess, trend, I'll use the word trend of inclusivity, which not hopefully a trend, it'll hopefully stick around. But nonetheless, it's something that's been on everyone's lips for maybe a few years. You guys, I feel from the beginning of what you did, gave the brand in a way that said, look, uh, the way I interpret it or the way I sometimes articulate it is, Milk Makeup said, you know, f- forget the makeup artists for, the second, for a second. You guys are the makeup artists and we're the paint uh, or we're the color. And, and you guys are the canvas too. So just go for it. And it's very different, I think, from some of the past iterations of, of, of color businesses and beauty businesses that said, you know, we're going to push a style onto you. You're kind of saying, you are you, be you. In fact, some of your models in the campaign were wearing masks. Not yeah. Any, right. So, uh, talk <laughs> talk about all these this way of saying you be you. Well, we we were in this really unique position because we were you know Milk Studios. We were
1: Milk for so many years. So we shot everyone else's campaign. So I watched the beauty industry, you know how what it was doing, and and I realized you know th- there's nothing wrong with supermodels. I mean they work at Milk every day, but I just knew that all the girls back you know in Indiana and Ohio and Utah will never look at them and go i could look like her yeah. i could be like her so we 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 were when we launched you know we could have used celebrities we knew all the big models we knew all the big photographers but we we launched with with you know just seven kids and some of them were you know stylists others worked in the one worked in the, on the third floor Uh, with for another company we grabbed in the elevator Um, you know the concept of street casting and and we didn't use a big photographer we used the upcoming one and it felt really um, like our community and felt you know we just didn't feel that in the beauty industry you just needed to see another celebrity or another model uh, representing your brand Mm -hmm. and so we went a little bit differently. And that is really the, you know, the inclusivity of of saying that, you know, our community is our VIP. It's our celebrity. It's the brand is the most important thing. It needs to be to say it a little bit differently, like we wanted to be the canvas and we want our community to be the painter. Yeah. And so we you will never hear milk makeup say how to do your eye, yeah. how to do your look or your lip it is just about like a million kids talking about a lip
0: yeah
1: and it's fascinating doing it their way doing it their way and and there's no right or wrong and so we stayed away from like big makeup artists we you know nothing against them they work with us all the time we didn't want to sort of that you know that smoky eye that we knew like six people in the world can do yeah you know we, we get this kind of like crazy eye that like you know, yeah. girls doing, you know, between leaving work and going out at night in the back of a taxi cab in five minutes. Yeah. That was the utilitarian aspect of Milk Makeup. Yeah. It's like everybody drops their stuff on the floor. Everybody, you know, kind of the cab stops you accidentally. And We thought that was really where the narrative was in this idea of, like, how you make yourself up. Yeah. But we also then quickly realized it's not about your look. It's what you do in it that matters. Mm-hmm. So we started to hone in as content creators on, like, okay, that's great, you look wonderful, but tell us what you do. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, the, our community just started talking about how hard it is mm-hmm. to, to you know, get your first job out of college, move to New York City. You know, that kid in Ohio dreams about Escaping and coming to a big city, working in the creative fields—that's
0: when it gets interesting. Yeah. Not about us; yeah. it's about the the, the people. No, it's 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 obviously caught on like like wild like wildfire. Um, you you've off, you made me think about something that I read about you saying that if you hadn't gone into Do what you do, um, that, um, or maybe I guess uh, milk at the beginning, you'd have gone into hospitality. And listening to you speak, you sound like someone who is in hospitality, who's uh, thinking of the guest. And always. And so, you know, I know that hospitality has actually evolved in your life to other businesses. Um, So within milk uh, and within other businesses that I'm sure you'll touch upon, um, such as Camp David. Uh, talk about hospitality, the industry, the business of hospitality, and how you think about it, applying to what you do. So I think it's it's one. It's I think it's in my blood, being Middle Eastern.
1: It's you know you break bread. You know you 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 if it's your last piece of bread, you give it to your guest, right? And your enemy stays with you, and they have a good night. You know you take care of them, and that's been with me. And I think that's what milk. The studios, we never treated it as a studio. It was like a hotel. Yeah, like a, it's like a hangout, too. It man. was a hangout. It was like the Four Seasons. We, we hired people out of the Cornell School of Hotel Management when we launched Milk Makeup. And, you know, instead of having a gift shop, we had an equipment room. But it was like instead of 300 doors, we had 10. But it was all about hospitality and making people feel at home. And we really brought that to Milk. And it's been with everything we do. It just, we want people to feel very comfortable with, with us, the brand, what we stand for. And it, it also was this incredible place that everyone wanted to be at. Like, I remember once I was giving a tour at Milk and it just happened, you know, like I start on the eighth floor, come out. There's like five Victoria's supermodels walking on the studio and they're all like, "Hi, Rossi." We're like, "Hi, my, you know." I think it was with the banker. So he's just like, "Wow, this is what happens every day." <laughs> then we go downstairs, to the second floor.
0: How much money do you want?
1: I, I open the door, and it's like Kanye West sitting in there working on his Easy shoe. He was there for months, like working on. And then I, we we go all the way down through the gallery. We have a music room in the basement. Go open the door. It's like Patty Smith rehearsing there before she went on tour. And that's Milk, right? It was like. This guy's looking at me like, did I just go through yeah. all this building? And I said, yeah, that's what happens here. It's really special. It happens organically. And that's the hospitality. So are you the
0: Andy Warhol of the of the, of the 90s and, and 2000s? Well, I think
1: Milk definitely <laughs> took a lot of cues from, you know, the factory. And, you know, I always tell all of our employees, you know, we have 160 employees. And I always say, you know, we walk in footsteps of giants, like by being in New York, you walk outside, you know, Warhol walked in these streets, Basquiat walked in these streets, like now you walk in these streets, like New York City is our number one inspiration in everything we do and in our brand and, and hospitality, every, everything is, comes from this amazing town. So I always feel like
0: we have to take full advantage of this incredible place we live, it's really amazing, and so New York City obviously evolves like any city, but New York City probably more so than any city is constantly changing, and and neighborhoods grow, and neighborhoods neighborhoods become so gentrified that you know cool moves around uh, to different pockets and parts of of a city. What are you? How do you see New York City today? I mean, it's a very different place today yeah. than it was when you started in 1996. Well, you know as. As I said in the beginning, you know, we bought that building for $6 million.
1: It it just sold for 600 that Google bought it. Wow. So we are leaving the meatpacking. And we just had our last exhibition in the gallery after 20 years. And it was with William Strobeck who did the movie uh, Blessed for for Supreme. His kids were lined up outside. Mm-hmm. Supreme dropped 100 limited edition shirts at the opening. and And I looked over and I said, you know, once we're gone, these kids are never coming back to the meatpacking. There's nothing here for them anymore. You know, it's all big brands. It's super expensive. You're never going to get another homegrown, sort of creative company that just starts. And I mean, remember, we built a beauty company out of the meatpacking. Like that can't stop. Like mm-hmm. we lose young businesses creating uh, brands and jobs and. You know, if we lose that in New York, that onboarding of young creatives. So obviously a lot of that's moving outwards. So what's sometimes not great for New York City or Manhattan is great for the boroughs. And so we are moving to Brooklyn. We're moving all 80,000 square feet. And, um, you know, we're going to build a new neighborhood. And that's our job. Have you picked a a location yet? We have. We're going to. You know, we haven't announced it yet, but it's definitely in Brooklyn. It's, it's you know, in the cool part of Brooklyn. And, um, you know, it's Where's gonna, the
0: cool part of Brooklyn? Like,
1: <laughs> don't <laughs> worry, like don't the, have to answer that. Yeah, you know, a little north, a <laughs> little west, a uh, little east. But, um, but that's what we did. And we did that in Los Angeles too when we built our milk studios there. We went into kind of like a rough area and, and we helped bring it up. We get very
0: involved in the community that we're in. That's great. And so uh, when you look at brands today, and the things that they struggle, I mean, if the people listening to this podcast um, tend to be people leading companies, leading brands, businesses, etc. What do you think are the things that if you were in the shoes of some of the incumbent brands, the big guys, let's, let's say, who are all trying to attract a, a young customer, a new customer. And it could be in, in, in fashion. It could be in CPG. I mean, I think the tenants of what you do, I often say the tenants of luxury branding actually are now being adopted by you know everyone across the value chain because it's about communicating a certain way and, and a message and meaning to, through a product. Um, what are the, I don't know, one, two or three tips you'd give people to how, what would you start with on a blank piece of paper to say, you know, you should do these few things to really shake your company up or shake your brand up? I think today the most important thing is a point of view. Like
1: every brand needs a point of view. And some of these legacy brands are brands that have been around for some, you know, you don't know what they stand for anymore. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's been so watered down. And stop using the word legacy. It's not legacy, it's your DNA. But it needs to, the codes need to be updated. And it's not about trying to be cool,
0: it's being relevant. And... um, Talk about the the expression codes, or the word codes, because I know what it means, but not everyone else. So,
1: you know, every brand has two parts. You know, one that is physical, these are the codes your colors, your logo, your things you can touch and see. And then there's the DNA, which is things that are non-tangible, you know, the belief system. Those usually you you never change, especially the top three. They are, you know, you could look at brands that are hundreds of years old. They, you keep those. You don't mess with them. But you have to update the codes. The codes can be updated. Yeah. And to be more relevant in the in people's narratives today and what goes on in the world and internationally you know we are expanding very quickly internationally with milk makeup and the concept is think globally but act locally right Mm -hmm. so i go to every region Mm -hmm. i walk in the streets i talk to the kids i walk into every store i try to go out to all the bars and clubs at night to see what the kids are doing um Friday I go to the Middle East, you know, and I'm gonna go to Dubai and I'm going to Saudi Arabia, I'm going to Qatar, I'm going to Kuwait, I'm going to Bahrain, I'm going to walk in the streets, I'm going to see what the kids are up to and talk to them about what beauty means, what makeup means, what music what music are they listening to, who are their artists they're following, why social, why not? Are they private? I think touch that's the cloth. Yeah. You gotta touch it. And that way if we fail in those markets, I know I gave it my best. That's also another reason I want to do it. I don't want my brand popping up on a shelf somewhere in the world, and I hope it does well. So that's, I think, for for a lot of these legacy brands, people, you know, they've been around. It's like, you know, I say to a lot of leaders, they're just like, you, you got to just get out there too and stop being so corporate, you know, mm-hmm. and um, break the rules and... And uh, at the end of the day, just really sit with your consumer base. Like, sit with
0: them. They'll tell you everything you need to know. So speaking of that, when you think of the fashion industry, and you've been exposed to it for a long time, uh, 25 years-ish, since 96, don't you think that that the culture of exclusivity, of push, you're going to wear what we say you should wear because we've invented the next color, the next thing, is kind of a system that is a little bit upside down with what the young consumers are uh, sort of seeking today, which is to have a seat at the table. I mean, maybe the reason that Gucci has been doing so well for the last four years is because they turn themselves inside out and let people into the brand. But I think they're one of the exceptions that prove the rule. Um what do you think if when you think of fashion week itself all these yeah. fashion months actually is what they are now what, what is your your sense of of all these different ways of doing business that seem to be uh, heritage legacy ways of of running businesses but seem maybe a little bit out of touch
1: yeah i mean look digital changed everything and i and i there's still people that haven't got their heads around that and I think when you looked at what Perfect Examples Fashion Week, and we were very involved in it, was that it was a B2B concept. You know, it was businesses coming together. It was yeah. media on one side and buyers on the other side. There was real commerce that happened. And, and now the media, you know, it was instant. You know, you don't see editors really at shows anymore. It's just bloggers and whatnot. And then on the other side, no one st- everyone stopped buying uh, at the shows. So it became a marketing, consumer-driven event. And you question, like, do we really need it? Because <laughs> you know? at the end of the day, it's just become content. And uh, so and it costs so much money for these designers yeah, to be say, involved. It's, so it's, it's, it's almost made no sense. And, you know, brands don't want to be involved in it. So it's harder and harder to produce these big shows and get someone to pay for them. I just think it's the power went to the people. So you can't be a brand. The, the word luxury became a dirty word. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. Exclusive. There's a great study that we did at Milk in our agency. I think in 2004, there was a survey that kind of we did. It was like, what is luxury? And then we did it in 2014, 10 years later. And in 2004, it was like 80% of the time, it was like a Louis Vuitton bag you know one day when i get to fly in a private jet you know uh, a ferrari i mean it was a very material it was like quality and in 2014 what is luxury it was like spend 10 minutes with my kids put my bare foot in hot sand at a beach mm-hmm. turn off my cell phone read a book Like, that's what luxury became in 10 years. Yeah, almost spiritual. Spiritual, personal, nothing to do with material objects. It was about experience. Yeah. And I think that's when you knew luxury brands were in trouble if they didn't reinvent themselves. And I think, like, your point, Gucci did an amazing job. They're an experience. Yeah. You walk into the store, it's an experience. It's not about the few
0: anymore. That doesn't work digitally, because digitally, it's about democracy now. I think at Gucci, they make you feel educated. You learn something from them when you're touching the brand, which is Mm -hmm. another piece to it. It's it's spirituality and education as well in in, in some of these things. What I've always admired about you over getting to know you over the last 10 years, and in particular over the last five years through Parsons, is how humble you are you one of the things that's so authentic and wonderful about you is that humility um so therefore when i ask you the question about the pinch me moments about milk and and all your different experiences and the different hats that you wear what are some of the things that you sort of you just went whoa this is just crazy what's going on here some of the and i know there have been a few stories about the crowds and the people and the and the the young people that show up and you say to yourself you know i'm whatever age I am and, and how come these kids are, are surrounding our company? I mean, talk about some of those experiences that you had over the last 25 years. I think the first one for me was, I have
1: so much gratitude towards, it was Calvin Klein. You know, he lived at Milk. His shows were there for eight years, so 16 shows in a row. And he became a mentor. And it was, I remember, like, those moments, like, after one of his shows, you know, Kate Moss would open. It was, like, 1,000 people. It was, like, the pinnacle, you know, of New York Fashion Week. And being able to be backstage with him and and just going, like, I can't believe I, I'm here and I'm yeah. standing next to this giant of a man. And those were the moments, like, that put Milk on the map. And then the other moments were later when you know, when, when every exhibition, every show we did, you know, there was like 2,000 kids outside lined up. And I knew that, you know, they, they kind of gave us this credibility and the seal of approval that like, this is a cultural center. And the moment that I realized Milk is a cultural center, it's not a studio, it was another big moment for me personally. I was very emotional about it. And I was like, I'm never going back to just a business model. And then lately it's, it's being able to prove that, you know, we can build a brand and kids still line up. When we did our pop-up in London and Covent Garden, there was hundreds of kids that started lining up at 7am outside of our pop-up and it went all the way around the block. And you know we did it again it wasn't just local in new york anymore we did in london then we did in barcelona and as my dear friend virgil always says you know he's like all we have to do rossi is connect the kids like i always remember virgil saying that to me when he when he created uh pyrex and off-white when he used to work out of milk a lot and and it was just this moment like yeah we're we're connecting the kids globally now, yeah. and
0: yeah, to each other. To each yeah. other, and yeah. Yeah, it's in, it's interesting because you know you're, we're sitting here under Marvin Trubb's picture, and mm-hmm. he, uh, Andy Warhol, said about Bloomingdale's back in the day that it was the museum of the people, and it was about and he, Marvin would call it Saturday's Generation, where they would go to Bloomingdale's to get get a date and hang out and meet each other. It yeah. sort of the Facebook of the time, and so hearing you say that. You know, uh, my partner Jeff says there's nothing new in this world. It just comes back in different ways, right? And so yeah. you're just um, getting people together. Yeah. Yeah. And so tell me a little one last question. In the laboratory of cool that is milk and everything that goes on with your team, what are the things that you're playing around with that you're noticing that are, um, you know, just being formed uh, in the kiln of, of milk about, you know, where, where things are going, what are you noticing? You know, everyone likes to talk about TikTok as being the next thing. It's not the next thing. It's, it's here, it's happened, it's, it's definitely a thing. What are you noticing about the, the, the youth, Gen Z, for example? I think that there was a bit of a myth, we, you know, that
1: they're more private. They're not. <laughs> <laughs> they're just, you know, I think that they've mastered content in a way that no other generation have. I think it's that's the big sort of unique point of view we have with having the studios and having all the media components that we we see how it's changing. It really is what what I'm noticing is that this young generation, they're sort of Renaissance kids. like you know, no one wants to be a singer, a fashion designer, an architect. It's like they're kind of a little bit of all of it. And they, they, it. I think it. I read a a long time ago that like New York was like that in the '70s too. You know, you'd go to a party, and an artist could sing, do a painting, probably be an architect. You know, they, they, everyone was a little bit of everything. And I'm seeing that in this new generation, which is really wonderful. On top of being activists, you know, they, they are multi sort of faceted. And they feel that, um, you know, they don't want to get into this one category, whatever they end up, and that they need to break out of it. So I I have a lot of hope in this generation, you know, changing the world for the better. And, you know, we know that the environment is a big, big topic for them. And
0: uh, and they're kind of pissed about it. They are. Yeah, we saw, we saw that on, in many instances at the UN. So changing the world for the better, there's, there's no better place to end this talk. And I know we could probably go on for hours. Mm. Thank you for braving the cold, coming all the way uptown. And um, Rossi, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I want to take a second to explain to you why Traub is able to bring you the safari. We pride ourselves in being at the very center of a very global, very complicated consumer and retail landscape. And in our travels, as we help think, manage and expand businesses in many different channels and geographies, we're able to meet and learn from some of the great minds in this industry. And it's really wonderful to be able to bring them to you. And in doing so, I hope that you, the listener, will be able to learn a little bit more about what we do at Traub as well. If you want to learn a little bit more about Traub, you can go to traub.io, where you'll learn a lot about everything that we do. If you're enjoying the Safari, please do share it with your friends and colleagues within the industry. And please also don't forget to subscribe and like it.